Good morning, family. Good to see you this morning. As I was thinking about this message today, I was reminded of when I was a young teenager back in the last century. And one of the big things was when you got to a certain age, you were able to get a summer job. So I remember for the first time getting a summer job. You had to go and get working papers. I grew up in, in the inner city in Brooklyn. And I was very excited about it. And, and then my parents hit me with, you have to contribute financially to the household. I wasn't too um, pleased with their demands. But if you have the type of parents that I had, you um, complied. So I complied. I, I felt as if I'm not going to make enough money. And, and I wanted to buy cool clothes and, and sneakers for the upcoming school year. And having to give them money was going to affect my swag. In retrospect, I had a lot of nerve. From birth, my parents had provided everything that I needed for my overall well-being. They're the ones who supplied the roof over my head. They're the ones who put clothes on my back. They're the ones who put food on the table. But um, self-absorption has a way of distorting our perspective and making us lose sight of even the support that we receive from the very beginning. This morning, we're going to continue in our series, Stories Jesus Told. And we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verse 13 to 21. This morning, I'll be reading out of the ESV, and I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. It reads this way. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your God against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, 
eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word has power to save. Your word, by the presence of your spirit, sanctifies, Lord. It refreshes, it encourages us, it reminds us, it rebukes us, it grows us. Thank you for your word. And we need it daily for our nourishment. So we've come to receive this day, Lord. We ask that you would change us. Have us look more like Jesus than when we walked in, Lord. And continue to show us all that you are and what you're doing in our lives. What you're doing to us and through us for your glory. Be glorified this day. As part of our worship, we would have attentive ears to what you have to say. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The character of a person is often indicated by their thoughts when they're listening to a sermon. Did you hear what I said? The character of a person is often indicated by the direction of their thoughts when they're listening to a sermon. Of course, that's not the way many perceive it. Um, from their vantage point, it's the preacher. Uh, the, the, the preacher gets the blame for not being able to hold the attention of the listener. But often... The hearer is consumed with whatever passions are dominating their minds. So sometimes it could be me. Most of the time it's y'all. This is not only the case for preachers like me, but even the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus experience the same thing. Jesus is speaking about hypocrisy. Jesus is speaking about the providence of God. In this text, he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people were there. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's crazy. Like the weight of what Jesus was speaking about, the massive amount of people that were there, like I'm some regular Joe Blow preacher. If one of y'all just got up and just said something that's real personal, like, can you help me with this? Like that'd be out of order. So Jesus, hearing this, this was... A personal matter. 
This was a, a family affair. It had nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about, and it certainly was brought up at the wrong time. Jesus is preaching on matters that had eternal weight. And this guy brings up a personal dispute about property. This guy cared nothing about the subject that Jesus was preaching on, and it was evident that he cared nothing about Jesus. But he wanted to use Jesus' influence to sway what would happen in the situation of this money he felt was due to him, to get the scales tipped in favor of his brother. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? There were courts that dealt with those type of matters. Be very careful because Jesus never involved himself in legal matters, nor did he involve himself in political matters. You may think different, but that was not part of his mission. His mission was to save souls, to make disciples. That's the same mission of the church. The man may have been right, and the man may have been wrong in what he deserved in terms of this inheritance, but that was for the court to decide. The fact that the man brought up the issue in such a time and in such a way revealed that there was covetedness. And the Lord was going to address the crowd on that issue. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is covetousness? It is more than desiring material things. It's more than wanting money. It's more than wanting property. We all work for those things. For some, along the way, covetousness motivated by selfishness finds its way in. It creeps in. At times, the attempt to acquire material possessions leads to self-denial for future fulfillment. In other words, we save for the things that we want. And there's nothing wrong with that. Being a good steward of what you have, saving money, putting money away for a rainy day, for a car, for a house, get married, whatever, those things are well and good. Making money is important. Where the problem comes in is when money and possessions, which should be subordinate, become the controlling motivation. That, that's what covetousness is. We're supposed to make money. It's, it's necessary for our daily lives to acquire our basic needs. Like, a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Right? You're supposed to work. What, what happens too often is, is people view the accumulation of possessions as success. 
And when people view it that way, what we do in turn is accumulate stuff so we would feel good about ourselves, so we could be viewed by others a certain way, and that's where the problem comes in. Don't allow the accumulation of possessions to be the absorbing ambition of your life. Don't live simply to make money and then to hoard it. Money is, is a tool, and it should be used as a tool. And for the believer, a large part of what you have should be for the promotion of the kingdom and for spiritual benefit. So, so Jesus cautions the hearers at this point. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Like when you leave here, none of that is going to matter. What is the great aim of your existence? What, what rules and dominates your life? You see, how you view and what you do with what you have speaks volumes about who you are. Your possessions don't show who you are. Your character shows who you are. It's been said that true riches are riches of the soul toward God. Happiness and usefulness and honor are elements of life that money can't buy. In God's economy, one is viewed by who he is and not what he has. Because everything he has comes from God. There are many things that money cannot buy that the poor can possess. You, you can't purchase happiness. You can't purchase health. You can't purchase character. You can't buy joy. You can't buy peace. You can't buy love. You surely can't buy salvation. There are wealthy men and women that are destitute in all of these areas. And there are many who are rich in these areas and live day to day and sometimes lack in physical needs. So Jesus, with this happening, tells this story of a foolish rich man. He says that the land of the rich man produced plentifully. The, the, the land was so much already that this man was considered rich. And, and he had an unusual bumper crop this year where he was really blessed with an abundance. And what's the first thing that came to his mind and the only thing that came to his mind? I'm keeping all of this for myself. 
He had such uh, an abundance that he was going to have to make new accommodations to keep it. You can't just keep your crops out in, in, in the rain. He didn't think about anything else. I'll knock these barns down. I'll build bigger ones, and I will store all of these things. He thought that and even imagined when this happens, this will bring about good times. That, that's not far from how many of us think. When this stuff happens, let the good times roll. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He forgot one thing in all of this. He forgot to consider God. It's amazing how we remember God in the valley when we in pain, when we just had some messed up situation. Oh God, unbelievers do that. Oh God. But when we have a blessing, sometimes even those that every single day praise the Lord have to remember, wait a minute. Thank you, Lord. It is amazing uh, that the flesh uh, works in such a way that we have to remind ourselves, spirit-filled people, oh, this came from you, God. Thank you. Oh, oh we were consistently praying for it. And when it comes, we got to remind ourselves where it came from. He forgot to consider God in the same way that I forgot to consider my parents when I grew up in their household. I believe that my parents asked for $25 a week. It's not a lot of money. It wasn't the $25 that y'all know. It was more than that. <laughs> but it still wasn't a lot of money. At the very time this rich man was making his plans for rest and relaxation and parties, a word from heaven came. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? This is the story that Jesus tells. And then just in case they got it wrong, he told them the moral of the story at the end. So it is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So the question is, 
What was foolish about this rich man's actions? Why call him a fool? He was smart enough to acquire wealth and to make money. But he was foolish in that he neglected his responsibility to God in the matter of his possessions. You see, you're responsible for what you have. He, he talked about it. My grain, my goods. And he said it in a way where I'm going to take all of these provisions and store it up for myself. Well, I mean, we make that argument sometimes. He got up at the crack of dawn and cultivated the ground. He, he sowed the seed. He put in the work. This is what he forgot. The greatest factor in producing wealth is God. We're not talking about agriculture here. The, the greatest factor in producing wealth is God. Who, who sent the rain? Who, who sent the sun? Uh, surely this rich man could not produce the weather. You can till the ground all day long. You could plant seeds from now until next year. Only God sends the sun and the rain. He alone gives the increase. I, I don't know if you have grass and what your grass looks like, but it hasn't rained here in like a month. It, it sprinkled the other day, but... There's no producing rain. You better pray. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Yet this man spoke as if he produced all his wealth on his own. It never even entered his mind to praise God. It, it, it never even proceeded from his lips to give God glory. In fact, what he was doing was robbing God of his glory. This man was showing no gratefulness. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He said, in your tithes, in your offerings. Are you in the same state as this Man, one of the things, especially as Americans, that people like to say when they're successful is, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm a boss lady. I'm a baller. You're not.
How many neglect giving so the storehouse of God would be full of food? Let me tell you something. We have five employees here that are full-time and three employees here that are part-time. Every single one of them are overworked and underpaid. Every single one of them multitask and work hours beyond what they're compensated for. And these aren't like run-of-the-mill people. These are skilled professionals, the majority of them with college degrees. And in one sense, I view it as my fault because I never speak about money. Like, I never talk about money to the church, believing that God's people will be willing to give. And some do, but the majority don't. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's my fault in the sense that if you aren't reminded, if, if, if no one says anything, you may think it's okay if you're new in the Lord. Others know better. You just have chosen not to give. I, I don't know um, what position you think the church is in, but hopefully, although you came to first service, and I see a lot of first service people not here. I'm sure they'll be at second service and come to the business meeting. You need to come to the business meeting if this is your church. But the church is where you receive your spiritual nourishment. She keeps you spiritually healthy. Imagine if there was no church to go to. Not like, ah, kind of was thinking about leaving light of the world. I have no church to go to. What position would you be in? We already know long, lone soldiers don't make it because Christians were not made to live by themselves. No, we need community. So we need the church. We, um, we pay for everything else. Entertainment. That's, that's one of the biggest ones. You know, um, I, 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 it's just certain things I just don't spend money on. When, uh, when we go someplace, like, I refuse to pay to park. Now, I grew up in New York. And, and, and at least back in the day, you could find some parking on the street. Now, there's no place to park. 
and I still refuse to pay to park. So my wife is like, well, get me there early, drop me off, and I'll see you in 45 minutes. Because I'm going to do everything that I can not to pay to park. And, and God forbid I get a ticket. Like, certain signs are almost designed that if you're not a lawyer to understand whether or not you could park there, like, you come back, and, and sometimes there's no ticket. Your car is just gone. And you're like, oh, I, nobody stole that car. No, they towed it. But we'll, we'll pay for everything, entertainment, education, go to the doctor. Like, the, like at one time, you go to the doctor and the visit was $50. Now the copay is $50. It's like, what in the world is going on? We pay for gym memberships. But for the church, I throw a couple of dollars in there once in a while. The church is a hospital for the sick soul. It's a, a gem for the soul where you work out your salvation. It's a place of fellowship where when you're praising God, we're here, and when you're feeling low, we're here. Uh, how can you not give? This man's attitude in this parable was, my goods are my own, and I'll do with them as I please. Too many think that way. This rich man acted as if he was independent of God. He thought that he had owned what he had, not realizing he was only a steward of what belonged to God. Maybe he knew that God owned the sun and the rain. But maybe he thought that that land was his. Maybe he thought that wood that he was going to build them new barns with belonged to him. Maybe he didn't realize his very next breath and his health were in the hands of God and given to him as a gift. Maybe he didn't realize that the mental faculties that he had to be able to learn how to do what he does to obtain that wealth, that he created that on his own. I, I don't know about you, but... This is a world that will have you lose your mind if God doesn't keep it intact. It didn't enter his mind to do anything else with what he had other than to hoard for himself. Give some away. No, no, no. I'm trying to build wealth. I actually need more is what far too many say. And that's the problem. The problem is you think you own it. The text says, but God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul will be required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will it be? He ain't taking that with him. They go back to the hands of God. They're in God's hands anyway. We are called to be stewards of everything, and we own nothing. And, and, and while you're here, things are committed to your trust. Like, don't treat it like it's yours and you could do anything you want with it because you're going to have to give an account. Like, this is what I've allowed in your hands, and you did what with it? We, we, we know that parable. So, you may try to justify your not giving because you say, I, I don't have enough. Like, I don't have enough or I'm on my grind and when I get to a certain place, I'll start. That's not how that works. Jesus was watching those come in and give offering in the temple. And he said to his disciples, when a woman, a poor widow, meaning she had no sustenance other than to probably beg, come in and drop in the offering two mites, two pennies. And Jesus said to the disciples, this woman has given more than all the rest of them because she's given out of her poverty and they've given out of their surplus. One of the things that I notice is people that really give, they always have. And people that are always trying to hoard, it's always fleeting away. You don't pick the wrong kind of car. It done broke down again. This happened, that happened. That's exactly it. It's just gone. But people that give in a way where it almost doesn't seem financially sound, they never broke. I've, I've, I've watched this for myself. I've, I've watched people that are always singing the blues, and, and they never have. So before I was the pastor, I was a, a plumber. And I was a union plumber, which means, for the most part, your, your wages are from a collective bargaining agreement. So we know the base price of everybody's money. And, and then you can, if you're really good, go over and above that, and that's something else. But they're all making the same money. And there's people there that were like generous and they just had. And there was people there that were cheapskates. And sometimes they didn't even have lunch to eat. They, they, they're sipping on half their coffee from the morning because they're trying to save every penny. 
The storehouse is not those barns that he was building. The, the storehouse is benevolence. It's, it's giving. The other crazy part about this story was the man said, soul, as if his material gain was going to be the food for his soul. He imagined that material things was proper food for his soul. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You may possess all the riches in the world and your soul be dying of starvation. The last thing that we see here is he could not buy off death. Nope. It's coming. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus was making a profound statement here. It, it ties into what we spoke about last week. What are you building on? Are you building on the rock? Or are you building on the sand? Everything outside of Jesus is sinking sand. We can come up, worship team. In terms of real food, John 6, starting at verse 55, says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drink my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in a synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. If this sermon becomes a touchy subject for you, you're the exact person that needs to hear it. Oh, money. That means you got a problem. Some of y'all just came today. It's like, my. <laughs> Ask anybody who here been, been here for a while. When the last time he talked about me, I can't even remember. Don't know if I remember him ever doing it. 
It's an indicator of a heart condition. It, it really ties into your spiritual maturity, your trust in God, you believing that you're a steward and not an owner. You, you, it really ties into what do I really believe about life? What do I really believe is going to bring me satisfaction and gratification and purpose? That's what it's about. I've watched some of the people here that I don't know everything about their finances, but I know enough. And a couple of people here that have money, their mission is not even to make more money. They, they've acquired a certain amount that they're going to be able to take care of their needs. And you know what they do? They give. And they give some more. And they give some more. Not only through finances, through the gifts and skills that God has given them, through their time. See, so once you're freed up, it's not like I want to work more hours of my life to make more money for things that don't matter. No, no, no. I've always wanted the highest amount possible per hour so that I could work a certain amount and then all of this other time have liberty and what I was going to do with it. Now, I like to play golf. I just don't have time to play golf because I'm about kingdom business. I, I, I like to play golf, but there was a time when my son, who was a really good golfer, we used to go places and play for free. And now that he's grown and gone, I don't want to pay to pay to play golf. Especially now that I work here. And, and, and I'm not complaining. What, what I'm saying is, how are you thinking about spending your time? He said, now that I have this windfall, whoo, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to kick up my feet. I'm going to eat and drink and relax. We have people here that are long retired in their 80s and they come to the church faithfully every week and clean. And clean. You know what they're doing? They are Storing up their treasures in heaven. It looks a million different ways. But, but I got to ask you, where are you when it comes to that? Where are you when it comes to this is my church? Are you in that same place when I had a summer job and I was like, how dare they ask me? Y'all got money? My $25 a week? I done lost my mind and bumped my head. And some of y'all have too. 
God is always going to take care of his church. But you know how God takes care of his church? Through people. By moving on their hearts. By them saying, I belong to the church. The only institution that's going to be in glory. All the rest of this stuff is going to be gone. So even if you're in the church and you kicking up your feet and crossing your arms, it's a problem. Everybody needs to do chores. Everybody needs to participate. We are God's children called to kingdom business. So now I recognize every once in a while, I'm going to talk about money. And hopefully, if I stepped on your toes today, by the next time the subject comes up, you say, amen, brother. Would you stand, family, so I could pray for you? God, how can we ever repay you? The most precious thing in life is your spilt blood at Calvary, oh God. And you did it just for me. You, you, you did it for each one of your children. You came when the one said, I, I want to follow you. You said, no, son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You left your glory in heaven to reach down and save a wretch like me, oh God. What do I have, Lord, that I could ever repay you? But all I have is yours, oh God. We ask, Lord, that you would move on every heart, Lord. This is not even about light of the world church. You've been taking care of your church. This is about the hearts of your people. Recognizing their responsibility as you give them breath in their lungs, as you provide for every one of their needs, that they would be part of the work that you're doing in every aspect, giving of their time and talents and energies that the body is called to do. If they're not doing it, something is lacking in the body. We need them, Lord. In another sense, you don't need any of us. That they would recognize whether they're running back and forth and working two and three jobs. If they're not giving to your storehouse, they're robbing you. It's all yours. 
We ask, Lord, that you would do a work in each heart, Lord. That sheets for volunteering would be filled. That everyone would participate in the household chores, oh God. That each one would give as they can. That they would give cheerfully. That they would give consistently. That they would consider this if it is their home that they want to be part of what God is doing here. What is it to be rich? It's to be rich in you, O oh God. It is to store up things that will have eternal value. All of these other things are fleeting. After you said this, you spoke about how you take care of the animals. How all these other things go from a place of newness to rusty, stolen, and not working. We thank you, Lord, that you will be a debtor to no man. We thank you for the richness of believing it is better to give than to receive. The richness of giving ourselves to you and living for you and bearing our cross daily, Lord, as you put our hands to the plow and who you've called us to be as individuals. Give us a heart change, Lord. We, we know we must work and eat and provide, but let that not be all-consuming in our lives. You've saved us from something which is the wrath of God into something to be your disciples and to go out and make disciples. You will work in each heart, Lord. We thank you for this day and all that you've done already, we present ourselves to you with open hands, recognizing, oh God, it's all yours. Just a steward. Help me to steward well. My time and my talent and the resources that you've given me, Lord. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in your church. We thank you, Lord, that it was resources, the church, whether we were in church or someone from the church spoke words of life to us, Lord. And we were saved from the wrath of God and transferred into the kingdom of your son that you love. And we thank you, Lord, that if we have to repent on this, we have a great confidence in this. That you who started a good work and each and every one of us, that you'll bring it to completion. You're not done. You'll bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that we can say amen and amen. God bless you, church.